Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually bollocks. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here? You surely man. <laughs> Leicester City are the 2015-2016 Premier League champions. I know it's a bit early to call it, Murph, but you got to get used to it. It's going to happen. It's starting to feel a little bit real. You're, you're, like, you're like a bookie. I mean, I mean on, we were, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, out. we were fools to think that Man City could ever compete for the entire season for the Premier League. We were <laughs> fools to ever believe such a now thing. Now, the bad news is that Ken Early is away on holidays. And I know, I know what you're thinking. Is he away on holidays or is he just running scared after making that bold prediction last week? I mean, I can see Man City beating before now. <laughs> that bold, echoey prediction that he <laughs> made last week. Well, no, Ken actually is on holidays, I'm afraid to report, but such is the magnitude of Saturday's results and such is the class of the man. Mm. And such is the sheer wide of the markness of his uh, prediction on last Thursday. That we have asked and he has acceded to our request to stop by the Irish Times studios on the way to the airport. How are you, Ken? Good, Owen. How are you? Good. Are looking, looking well packed there? Nice suitcase. I don't understand what all this is about, though. Well, your 4-0 prediction. I mean, I could see Man City beaten 4-0. That I mean, one. I could see Man City beaten 4-0. Mm-hmm. They ended up being beaten 3-1. <laughs> What's the big deal? I mean, I was, I was a goal or two out. I don't see oh, the, the problem. No, I, I thought your line of defence was, I could see them being beaten 4-0 is not the same as pre- predicting that the city will win 4-0. Uh, well, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm just going by the, the actual recording there, and it says, I could see Man City beaten 4-0. Mm. So I'm kind of like, this, this is much ado about nothing. Richie Sadler, one of those. I see Man City beaten 4-0. So there you go. Beating them 4-0. Yeah, beating, beating them, them 4-0. 4-0. Yeah, I think you're, you're hearing things. This that is the key thing. I was, I was actually <laughs> questioning myself there. Was, oh, wait a second here. Yeah. You were involved in the Twitter war with Richie Sadler. Well, I, I wasn't involved in one. I mean, I had one started on me. You were dragged into a, tr- a Twitter war. Richie Sadler, obviously one of those who got the wrong end of the stick uh, from, the, from the prediction. He says so. And from what you actually said. Ken Early thinks Man City will do Leicester 4-0. But I say they won't. We're about to find out who the real genius is. Hashtag Ken v. Richie. Hashtag not 4-0. Uh, anyone know where Leicester were in the table a year ago? Richie asks in another travelling question. Uh, a couple of minutes into the game. It's ha 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 ha. 31 has at Ken Early. That's uh, Leicester's first goal. Uh, yes. 
couple of minutes into the second half. This is becoming one of the happiest days, days of my life. I can't really I've genuinely never known happiness like this. He tweets <laughs> after the third Leicester goal. Uh, Were you getting shit, back to him in any Chat shit, get banged. He then retweets uh, from at James 2015. Another at Millwall FC win. Ken Early put in his place and... Well, this is relevant to you too, Owen. Benildis News become Leicester College's SFA champions in Tullamore. Perfect day. <laughs> so that's the Big way. Uh, that's yeah. that was yesterday. I mean, did you get back to Richie? But you just was this all a one-sided bombardment? I I complained about a couple of refereeing decisions. After the second goal, you can just picture the scene in Ken's house. Just the the top of the laptop just falls over. Let's just leave that for the day. Well, it it was a little bit strange watching the game. Wanting Man City to score with every attack, you know, <laughs> you don't uh, you don't usually watch a game between Man City and Leicester with that with that feeling, you know. If if you're a neutral, which I am in the in that situation, you usually want the smaller the plucky team that costs ten times, you know, one tenth as much to do the business. But there I was wanting Man City, willing them on to score, and this Owen I think gave me. Uh, uh, a good perspective on just how awful they were. <laughs> just how horrific the performance for Manchester City actually was. I mean, the goal by Riyad Mahrez. Mahrez's goal was ridiculous. Re- remember his assist uh, for Ojoa a couple of weeks ago? I'm, I'm struggling to remember who, who was the opponent, but it was a great assist where he basically did this, you know, Ronaldinho Elastico skill. Yeah, I remember he did the goal, the, yeah. You know, he nutmegs a guy after an Elastico. Right, okay. The opponents, Don't, Leicester's opponents now, by the way, are just faces. They're like Conor McGregor's opponents again. Oh, yeah. They're just blobs. Just, a, just another body just shape. Doesn't matter, yeah. Or in Man City's case, a thick bodied, settled looking, <laughs> uh, somewhat elderly uh, shape. But Mahrez pulled off this skill in that game. In, the, uh, in this game, he destroyed his uh, immediate opponent with a step over that was like. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, I've never seen, well, I say never, but like I've rarely seen a player who's as good at getting freestyle type playground sort of tricks and applying them in a game effectively yeah. as as Mars. like he, this the step over was perfect there was no it, the, there was no sense in which it was thrown in like he didn't you know he it was like a perfectly efficient way to get the defender out of his way uh, and open up the chance to score it was, it was amazing on the other hand i couldn't stop thinking from my manchester city you know uh, Your new pro, role is a city supporter. My overdog, Manchester City, you know, iron heel, stamping <laughs> down in the face of humanity perspective. Uh, I couldn't help thinking about all of all the missed tackles that there were. There was a missed tackle by Zabaleta. There was another one by Fernandinho. Then there was another one by Zabaleta. And then there was another one by one of the central defenders. And I thought, what, what is going on here? Can't one of you even just foul him? One of you has to, has to take him down at least. You can't just let them run past like that. And I think, I mean, you, you end up thinking about Man City and what, what their future is. You know, I mean, remember we were talking about uh, Guardiola when he was taking over at Bayern, or the Bayern players knew he was taking over. And it didn't seem to affect their performances at all. In fact, it seemed to improve. They, they seemed to... Maybe the awareness that they were being watched and evaluated by this new manager with very high standards was almost an extra motivating factor for them. But maybe the difference between those Bayern players and these Man City players is that most of the Man City players know that the first thing Guardiola does when he arrives will be to get rid of them. I mean, Yaya Toure will be gone. Fernandinho, can you see Fernandinho having a, having a place there? Zabaleta, maybe. Dimichaelis, Otamendi. I don't know. I mean, I looked through the entire team. And it seems to me that there are more players who will be 
on the way out than who will actually have a future. I know I was talking last week about maybe teams not f- fully realising how good Leicester are when they play them, not paying some of those individual players enough respect. I, I think there was even a sense of that the other day. There's times when, I don't know if defenders realise how fast Jamie Vardy is, for example. There's a couple of times where uh, he's just being allowed to streak away. It, it's as though I'll show him the outside. Hmm. Well, you can show him the outside, but he's going to run around the outside, he then come back the inside, outside, then he'll knock it across and somebody will have a great chance to score a goal. I know it's it's difficult to defend a player like that, but I'm not, and, and I, don't, I don't think now teams are going in thinking, oh, it's only Leicester. But it's as though... They're, they're not as psychologically prepared for Vardy and Mares as they are for the likes of maybe even Aguero and, and Torre to an extent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Man City, in fairness, Man City are playing Leicester at home. They're behind them in the league. They have to attack them. There's no yeah. choice. That's the approach that they have to take. Um, it's not as though they can just sit there and say, OK, we respect you, Leicester. A draw will do us today. Um, but, you know, there are, there are different ways to attack. Um and there are more effective ways to do it than Man City did. It was one of those weird games where, you know when there, you sometimes get a game where a team is defending its own penalty area and looks absolutely invincible. It's like, how can you ever, how could you ever pass through this thing? You know, they're, they're just a block that's never going to be moved. I mean, I, I think of, say, Chelsea against Arsenal last season when they were, you know, Chelsea had gone to Arsenal with the express aim of a nil-nil draw, and they are like, you're not going to score against us. And it, they just defended for... You know, 90 minutes, literally just clearing, blocking, getting in the way, you know. Uh, it was, he, he, Arsenal knew that well, we, can't, we can't score. It's going to take something amazing. And it was the same with City yesterday, until Aguero actually scored. And suddenly it was like, hang on, it's not actually that difficult. Well, you know, it's, it's weird how a goal can suddenly open up, uh, suddenly it's unblock a team. You know, it's like... Well, well, this is what we should have been doing. And City had more chances in the couple of minutes after their goal than in the entire rest of the game and looked far more dangerous. There was a moment when, as the ball was played back, Aguero was running onto a back pass. And you thought, my God, this is going to end up 3-3. Of course, it didn't. Aguero didn't score. But, you know, maybe an early goal for Leicester. Maybe that penalty could have changed. Early goal for City, I should, I should say. But, yeah, a totally deserved defeat for them and D- win for Leicester. There was a stat that popped up on Match of the Day when Robert Hood scored his first goal. I think maybe it was when he scored a second goal, but anyway, the stat was Robert Huth has now scored more goals in the last five Premier League games, three goals at that stage, mm. than in all of his previous Premier League games combined. There was 86 games in which he'd scored two, which I think just <laughs> outlines the, <laughs> one of the many statistics, weird statistical notes that will be made yes. on Leicester's undoubted march to the Premier League title now. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, there's, they're, they're in the situation where they have three or four players having freakish once-in-a-lifetime seasons. And it turns out in this season, maybe not in a lot of other Premier League seasons, but in this season, it's enough to see them crowned today as uh, Premier League champions. Ken, I know you like to leave it late. You're quite a relaxed traveller. You you do go away for work a lot, so you kind of think you can just stroll to the airport and get in whenever you want. But you're about 45 minutes to your flight, so maybe we should let him go. Ken, yeah. should we have let a, Ken go have a, stage? Have a great time. I'm going to get going. Thanks so much for coming in. Enjoy the rest of the programme. He truly is an inspiration to us all, that man. That's, uh, that's Ken out of here. But Emmett Malone is on the way in to talk Leicester right after I deliver some very, very exciting news concerning a Champions League legend.
Yeah, Patrick Clivert, one of the greatest Dutch footballers of all time, scorer of the winning goal in the Champions League final at just 18 years of age, is going to join us for an exclusive podcast interview later this month. It's face-to-face, and not only that, we want you, our beloved Irish Times Second Captain's podcast listener, to join us and come and meet the man. So the uh, deal here is we've got 20 places up for grabs. We'll let you know how you can be there later on in the show. The recording, it's going to take place in the morning of February 23rd. That is the day of the Arsenal-Barcelona uh, Arsenal Champions League game. Arguably the tie of the competition so far. Murph, please remind people why Patrick Clivert is such a bloody big deal. Well, I mean, there's the 1995 UFA Champions League final for a start, uh, which, you know, is one of the more memorable Champions League games of all time, I would say, given that everyone kind of had a soft spot in their hearts for that Ajax team. Uh, quite apart from his exploits, and then with Barcelona as well, of course, six seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's the uh, sixth highest scorer in La Liga in uh, Barcelona's history. Uh, there's the Irish connection. Uh, single-handedly killed off the greatest feel-good story in Irish sporting history. Yeah, I, but we got him back before 2002. Yeah, we did. So, yeah, the team that Jack built got demolished <laughs> uh, by uh, Patrick Clivert. Two goals uh, for, in Anfield in November 1995. Uh, but uh, he was one of the eight strikers that Louis van Hal put up front to try and nick a goal in Lansdowne Road in uh, September of 2001. Yep. Uh, and, of course, obviously very well placed to give his opinion on what the hell's going on at Manchester United at the moment because he played under Van Hal with Ajax, uh, played under Van Hal with Holland, and then also was his assistant manager at the World Cup in uh, 2014. Yeah, probably uniquely placed to talk about Van Hal then, yeah. given that plenty of players have played under him, but he, he's known him in a, at a professional level very recently. And yeah, it was, the, and it was, was the very last, successful. Yeah, yeah, last great achievement of Van Havel certainly looks that way at the moment. So yeah, there's a ton of great stuff to get through with Cliver. Can't wait for it, to be honest with you. That IX95 team that he was part of was absolutely insane. I was, I've was i been looking back at it this morning. The 11 that started against Milan in the Champions League final. Edwin van der Sarengol, Michael Reitziger, Danny Blin, Frank Rijkaard, Frank de Boer. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be confident enough with that defence in front mm-hmm. of me if I was Edwin van der Sar. Seydorf, Davids, Litmanen, Finiti George, Mark Overmars, Ronald De Boer. Yes. That's the starting 11, Murph. I haven't finished. Substitutions used. 18-year-old Patrick Clivert, as mentioned, and 18-year-old Canu. Yeah, <laughs> Two 18-year-olds come on and win the, the final for them. Their opponents that night were, was the Milan team that had hammered Barcelona in the 94 final. So I, I'm going to construct a solid argument that Ajax 95 is the greatest side in the history of the Champions League. Prove me wrong, Murph. Uh, I would say that if you'd said that to me even three years ago, well, actually, the the Barcelona team that beat United 3-1 in Wembley, that was a pretty good mm-hmm. team. And the team that won the Champions League last year and might become the first team to retain the Champions League this year, Messi, Suarez, Neymar, you know. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't really think you can look too far. Now, of course, there is always, you know, the tyranny of the, the recent, you know, that you, you're just wowed by the team that won it most recently or are most fresh in your memory. Um if you were, say, the Milan team that Ajax beat, the team that won it the year before, beat Barcelona 4-0. The Barcelona... <laughs> that was a very good Barcelona team, yeah. Romario. Yeah. You know, it's, that, that was a pretty good Barcelona team. And Milan hammered them 4-0. Uh, that was the Barcelona freestyling, brilliant attacking footballers against, you know, the dour Italians. And the dour Italians <laughs> going, like, absolutely wild for 4-0. That was a pretty good team. Um, can I tell you an extremely dorky story? Oh, go on, yeah, please. Uh, so maybe, you know, 15 Christmases ago in the Murphy household, there, me and my three older brothers sat down 
to come up with a definitive list of our five greatest football teams of all time. Uh, the voting uh, was... Uh, <laughs> I know it's... Honestly, I tell a lot of embarrassing stories. This could be the most embarrassing I sometimes feel I should save you from yourself. Yeah, I know. This I'm is sorry. one of those moments, but you've started, so... Uh, I might as well finish. So we all picked five teams and then, you know, allocated points to the... Uh, uh, so first place got five points, mm. uh, etc. Fifth place got one point. Mm. The Ajax 1995 team mm-hmm. actually won this debate. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why we loved Ajax. I, I think there was an element of early hipster footballer coming into it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to use that phrase, but, you know, in the absence of any other um, uh, description for this, there may have been an element of that. But there was just something about that team. Youth. Like, youth it was is youth. just. A, it was, who is this guy, Cliver? He's amazing. A very uh, seductive thing to have on your side in a in a football team. I think people just flock to it. They they and I mean they just played brilliant football. They were as well. also unbeaten all season in their own league in the Champions League that season, mm. and they had beaten Milan twice previously. So we'll talk to Simon Cooper about this because we're going to chat to him in a bit about where the Ajax team came from and the impact that it had on European football. But I did find, I find it quite funny looking back at old quotes. Uh, you know, Van Hal is talking about, uh, oh, it would be a dream to beat this great Milan team. We, we believe we can do, we can dream big as though they haven't really got a chance, but they'll might as well turn up and give it a go when actually they've been hammering this team yeah, all yeah, season yeah. <laughs> and are about to deliver in the, there the was, knockout blow. Yeah, there was like obviously the Man United team that won the treble in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, another brilliant Champions League team. Uh, the Juventus team, uh, maybe I'm just like really sentimental about the first teams that you saw in the sort of the new look Champions League with the Juventus team that won in 96, in 96 that beat Ajax on penalties. Um, Real Madrid in 2002 Zidane's goal against Leverkusen in Edinburgh that was pretty special and that was actually a brilliant team as well and of course Barcelona's various iterations so I mean you know Ajax are certainly in the conversation as the best Champions League team of all time. I don't think when we're talking that. to Patrick Clivert, Murph, they are the greatest Champions League team For the of all time. But we'd love to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get into us. Get onto us. I should say on Twitter at Second Captains, and uh, maybe have your say on that one. Right now, though, Emmett Malone is in studio to talk a little bit more about Lester's rel- relentless march to the uh, pinnacle of the Premier League. Emmett, thanks for calling down. Hi, Owen. A quote from Claudio Ranieri after the game: "For Lester, the pressure was at the beginning of the season when we started out because our goal was to maintain our position in the Premier League. But now the pressure is on the other teams who spent a lot of money to win the Premier League." and the Champions League which is well A it's it's the type of thing a manager in his position would say mm. but B you would argue it's probably true absolutely I think it's spot on uh, I, 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 you know I think there's uh, one of the factors that uh, people will kind of take into consideration about Leicester and the chance to win the title now or whether they can deal with the pressure um, and it will certainly be viewed as a missed opportunity if uh, if if they don't do it at this stage because they're they're in such a strong position and they're playing such wonderful you know confident football. Um, but the bottom line is you know in in in, in that sort of sense of a, of a team expensively assembled and you know having to live up to great expectations, uh, there's really no pressure at all. We Ken had a couple of stats in his piece today. Yeah, about their about. The passing and uh, passing ability and ability to retain possession of Leicester, yeah. neither of which they really have in any great abundance. Sixty nine point three percent pass completion, which is last in the Premier League and ninety fourth out of ninety eight teams in the top five European leagues. Yeah, and they're a little better possession wise, but not much. They average forty three point seven percent possession per game. That's eighteenth in the Premier League and ninetieth out of the ninety eight teams in the top five leagues. Yeah. 
what do they have if they if they seem to be so uh, deficient in those two what people would would see as key stats or could see as key stats? Well, I mean, they have a, a wonderful ability to mix it up. They have pace in the team. They have uh, at times. I mean, I, absolutely, I, I I I accept all of those statistics. But yet, we saw uh, last week was it against Liverpool? You know, an ability at times to get you know bodies forward and play lovely intricate passing football. And um, they have at other times um, a, a willingness to play it long out of defence and play to, to the, Vardy's pace. And, and they have a striker in Vardy who is supremely confident at the moment. His goal against Liverpool was a, was a tremendous example of that. Um, so you really don't need possession anymore in the Premier League or the ability to pass it around and, and, and keep the ball as long as you can strike at key moments as Leicester do? Well, I, I think that's essentially it. If you can deliver on those key moments, uh, then you can you can get away with a, with a great deal else. Um, I think what we've seen from them is that throughout the team, they have quality. Um, they have enormous confidence flowing through it at the team at the time. There have been a couple of points during the season where certainly I thought the bubble would burst. And, and w- when Vardy, after his incredible run of goal scoring, went a few games without scoring, I, I, did, I was concerned as to whether he'd get back on track again. And he has. And mm. Mares had a, a, a sort of indifferent spell. And he's come back again. And, and, um, elsewhere through the team, there's a lot of quality here. Fuchs at left back has been tremendous. Drink water in, in central midfield at different times has been outstanding. Schmeichel in goals has been has been one of the great stories of the season. So I mean, there's a lot going for them at the moment, and and Ranieri, you know, it's difficult to know quite how much exactly how much credit to give him here because a lot of the team was already in place before he arrived. But he's he's added a couple of players, but certainly he seems to have that ability to keep the whole show on the road, and he has to take a lot of credit for that. There seems to be a bit of a delight in uh, the inversion that's going on here, not just of Leicester being top of the league, but also. Those statistics, you know, that yeah. the, the, um, there used to be totally different ways of playing football and the, the way the Champions League is now, it's such a huge part of the football landscape that there's, there is nearly a, a homogeneity of, of football, of, you yeah. know, that, that, that there's one way to play, that Guardiola Absolutely, is yeah. a tactical mastermind yeah. and everyone, everyone else should either be copying him or, you know, that, and that's yeah. it, you know, so... The idea that Leicester can can be top of the league, first of all, is I think something that we could all kind of revel in. Absolutely. But also that the way they're playing, we could also revel in that as well, in that there is more than one way to skin a cat here. Yeah, I think I think part of that, I, I agree with you completely, but what I would say is I'd qualify it by saying there's one way to play for the top teams. And I think that, Sorry, you know, yeah, yeah. down lower, when, when survival is the first priority, uh, I think actually, you know, there's there's many more, like the Tony Pulises of the world, who don't play, you know, don't aspire to playing like yeah, Barcelona. Exactly. Sorry, or yeah, the Sam yeah. Allardyces, who feel that they can keep teams in the division. And I think one of the liberating things for Leicester here is that they did start out the season trying to survive, trying to stay in the division. And they've simply massively overshot, you know. I'm not sure that a, a top team would ever try to play the way they play, uh, would ever try to mix it up. But they can't, you know, there's absolutely no way this team could live with the Manchester Cities or the Arsenals or the, even the Chelsea's uh, inter- uh, right now uh, in terms of their passing ability, their ball retention, you know. They've got to mix it up. They've got to have a kind of smash and grab uh, atmosphere and they've got to convert their chances. They've got to, a whole load of things have got to come together for them. And it's, and it's got to be, a, you know, it, it is in their case a different style of football. 
but it's a style of football that was never intended to try and win the title. Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe if, if Leicester win the title, then the, the fans will be back next year going, yeah, we got yeah, to play, you know, yeah. a, bit more, yeah. a bit more like Barcelona this year. Yeah. But, but, you can right. throw all your medals in the bin, yeah. Leicester, you know, yeah. we're going to play this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But for, for the moment, it's, it, it, it's a staggering success. I don't think we're going to see, you know, an awful lot of, or any top teams try to emulate Leicester and try and, you know, say this is the way to, to shake it up. Um, but it's a hell of an, a, a, an inspiring story for, for the teams uh, at the bottom. And, and, and maybe, it's only, maybe it's something that only works once in, in a large number of years because, you know, next season the, the, the top teams realise that they have to do things slightly differently against them. All of our senses as Premier League fans, people who've been watching season after season of this competition suggest that something has to go wrong and namely that when injury we keep hearing this when injuries and suspensions hit that's when it's sure. going to start get, being troubling but there, there aren't that many games to go and they've no. been reasonably lucky so far yeah. and I'm starting to think that actually the assumption that if they lose one of their key players they'll definitely collapse might be wrong maybe if they lose Maris, I, I, I don't know I just have a feeling yeah. that there's so, such momentum now that you lose Jamie Vardy right to five or six games with yeah. injury Jamie Vardy's in the dressing room giving the talk maybe that's not very yeah, beneficial at yeah, this yeah, level yeah, of sport yeah, sure. but there almost seems to be something about it now that it could potentially withstand the loss of one of, the, one yeah, of those two guys yeah, or am I just so. being I mean, sucked Maris into this I wasn't in the team yeah. for a little while he was you know he was he was kind of you know uh, on the margins for, for a short while when, he, when his form went a bit uh, I think there are so many guys performing so strongly here that I agree with you I think there's just a, a group momentum here uh, Ranieri tried to strengthen in the window I think he tried to buy Loic Remy you know to, to provide cover for Vardy I think he you know he, he, he looked at a couple of other options uh, that didn't really quite go to plan uh, in the way that I think he would have hoped but but they are in, you know, I mean, Mike Walker, had a, a, I think, a, made a really strong case for Leicester kind of uh, being able to get there, get over the line at this stage on Saturday in the Irish Times. Um, and, and he was pointing out, like, the number of games they have is so beneficial. Like, you know, they're looking at, I think, it, I think it's 13 games is it left, while City, yeah. City have at least 18. And if they actually do well in competitions, you know, they're into 20s, they could have 25. That would be, that would be stretching. That would be them kind of, you know, making finals um, left, right and centre. Um, you know, but certainly City have that problem with injuries. They have it on several fronts. They're missing key players. Uh, company is a huge loss, and we've seen that. De Bruyne now is a huge loss. Aguero is oftentimes not looking like he's kind of completely 100% fit and, 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 and kind of a, a worry for them at times. Um, uh, he's sensational when, he's, when, he's, when, he's, when he is fit and playing well. But they have, they have problems in key areas and they have a heavy programme. You know, after next Sunday, I think, which is going to be a big, big day for everyone concerned, uh, City have four games in 11 days. Um, and that's very taxing by comparison with Leicester. I think at this stage, Leicester, it's so exceptional. I think only serious injuries would keep the players out of the team. Um, they have a lot of time to rest between games. Uh, virtually, you know, it's not far off a game a week. And as you say, I think that just the, the, the kind of drive is there that, uh, that might carry them through losing one or two. Drive is an interesting word because it's something that Manchester City have been accused of lacking at various yeah. times in the last few seasons. And for all the praise that Pellegrini received for his dignified behaviour sure. in the wake of the Pep Guardiola appointment... Have, are we actually starting to see the limitations of his management style that he actually has maybe failed to add the hard edge that the squad needs? Well, certainly for the money that's spent, their their defensive capabilities are you know incredibly shaky uh, in the absence of their best in their best of, of their best defender and captain. I mean, he you know, companies should not be as important to that team as he clearly is uh, at this stage of the game. Even when he's as good as he is? Absolutely. He's an outstanding defender, but they've spent an absolute fortune and they've had 
numerous opportunities at this stage to address shortcomings on the side and yet we still have a situation where they look like they will concede goals in every single game uh, and, and, and that's even with you know a very good goalkeeper behind him he's occasionally prone to mistakes himself but you know that they seem to uh, routinely add up to less than the sum of their parts defensively, and that's and and, and that's you know that's a, has to be is that Pellegrini. That I, is well, it has happen, to reflect yeah. on him. Now, yeah. I think you know it's an interesting time for Pellegrini. He did handle the, the the news last week with with very you know considerable dignity. That is to his credit, but it's a very key time in terms of his potential future in the English game. Um, I, I think that um, he will be perhaps remembered fondly. Uh, by City fans, whatever happens uh, because of their title success. But he's potentially the next Chelsea manager or potentially the next, you know, manager of another big English team um, if the rest of this season goes well. But, you know, if he manages to finish second or third, particularly to a Leicester City, but also to an Arsenal side that has looked uh, very, very considerably flawed at times this year as well, or a Spurs side, which would be almost as, you know, well, not quite as a romantic uh, a tale as Leicester City winning it, but it would be a great story if that if that Spurs team comes through now and, uh, and wins the title. I mean, spent a, mo- a lot of money um, uh, a few years back out of the Garrett, Garrett Bale sale, um, but... Uh, but the current manager has essentially had to fix a lot of the mistakes that were made there and get them back on track. Um, so that would be a great story. And for Pellegrini, a lot depends on, on where they finish in that particular pile. Another dead man walking manager, Louis van Gaal. Well, it doesn't see himself yeah. that way. No. When, when there's such nonsense written about me, I cannot believe there is already a relationship between Jose Mourinho and United. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to be written in very certain terms at the weekend that, that those meetings have already taken place. Um, I, 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 you know, look, I, I think, I, I, you know, I've talked to you before on about this and, and I'm very sceptical about some of the reporting that comes out of England. And you can see, you know, you can you can actually, I mean, Jurgen Klopp last week was uh, putting some guy in his, his place over... Um, uh, Daniel Sturridge and the suggestions that he might leave at the end of the season and how how, how vaguely based it, it it seemed to be uh, that there was no evidence for this. Now, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but I, I, certainly a fair bit of stuff gets bandied around over there. And yet you can often tell from the tone of the reporting that there's uh, confidence there that uh, on the part of the reporter that this is true. Um, it seemed to me like a, 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 it had a ring of truth about it. Yeah, it's, I'm somewhat surprised at the naivety of... Van Hal, if he well, truly believes that again, we're we're going by. I think in the absence of, I think the difference with Pellegrini was that he was kept fully informed of what was going on. He was probably well handled by by City and probably you know uh, given a very you know a very generous severance package. So uh, you know he accepted what was happening and and it was um, it was part of all of that having been negotiated negotiated out that that leads to a situation where he sits in a press conference and and takes it you know on the chin uh, with very great dignity. You don't see uh, that Van Hal. Well, Van Aert, yeah, it's a different situation, though. I mean, if they've, if they've, you know, uh, if they need potentially need Van Hal to go into next season with them, and they haven't squared off what might happen in the summer with him, then it's quite possible he's out of the loop. Um, that they're they're exploring options here, and that they haven't settled on anything. Um, uh, Mourinho, I, I'd imagine you open up talks with Mourinho um, uh, with an open mind as to whether his terms and um, his plan for the club is going to be acceptable. Uh, so, you know, I, I can understand, I, I can certainly envisage a scenario where Van Hal at the weekend doesn't know whether this is true or not and perhaps feels outraged. I think there's also a sense of him having to say what he said, which is, you know, that, that uh, he has the trust of, of the team's owners and he trusts them. And just last, you said that next weekend is a big one for all concerned. Are you going to tip Leicester to do? against Arsenal? Go on, you might as well. 
I, I, do you know what? I, I, I think obviously a lot of that depends on, on Arsenal themselves. They, they played well yesterday. They have a, a long and, and, and proud tradition of blowing big opportunities. Um, uh, they, they still have the edge man for man, but they're, you know, they're, they're, they're still quite erratic. They don't take their chances. Les's great gift at the moment is that they do take theirs and, uh, and that might be the key to it all. Emmett, brilliant stuff. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Worldwide. The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. Second captain. Those guys, are like, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. They said I was a fucking soccer. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. If you say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. All right, so this is how weird this Premier League season has become. Spurs, uh, as briefly referenced there by Emmett, might well end up winning this league title. And they'll essentially be seen as party poopers. Yeah. Spurs winning the league for the first time in a hell of a long time. Will, will, it'll suddenly be seen not as this great story of, uh, of an historically very good English club finally getting back to the pinnacle, but it will be the bully Spurs mm. marching triumphantly all over Leicester's dreams. I'll tell you who Spurs are. They're Stuart Sink winning the 2009 mm. British Open over uh, Tom Watson. That's <laughs> that's who uh, that's who Spurs are after what fifty five years, yeah, it's quite something. But uh, Matthew Syed was writing in the Times of London today about Leicester. Actually, really, really good piece. Uh, you know, Max Ringelman gets another mention. Who? The French agricultural engineer. On. Oh. Uh, who asked his students to pull on a rope, uh, uh, instructed them to pull as hard as they could, and uh, working alone, these students pulled an average of eighty five kgs. But when they were divided into teams of seven and then asked to pull as hard as you can, obviously their production levels went down by 25%. It's called social loafing. On social loafing. A little bit of social loafing every day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you, you can see where this is going. I, I think I can. They compete with skill, discipline and tactical coherence. This is uh, Leicester, not Max Ringelman's students. But the most thrilling aspect of their play is a collective commitment. They run for each other, applaud one another, even when a pass goes astray, celebrate together, protect each other, and in a platonic sense, appear to love each other. Uh, I've never witnessed a team so thrillingly exceed the sum of their parts. I think a lot of people actually felt pretty similar watching that on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. In, I have to say what was one of the most outrageous Premier League games I've watched in a long time. Why so? Well, ju- within, after about 60 minutes, I was like, this could be 5 or 6 nil to Leicester City. <laughs> like, I, well, it's, I'll tell you what it was. Actually, only one of the most re- remarkable Premier League games of the last 10 or 15 years. If you, if you uh, take yourself outside the game, because from the first minute, Leicester was just way better than them. Played with way more assurance on the ball, uh, way more commitment. 
you know, it wasn't a smash and grab under under any circumstances. If you look at the league table, it wasn't a remar- remarkable game at all. In in many ways, that's what should have happened given how Leicester have played over the last couple of months. But when you think about, they were bottom this time last year, and they do that. I mean, it is. I mean, it's it's not going to get tired between now and May. Us talking about what a ridiculous story Leicester City is. In preparation for our big interview with Patrick Clivert in a couple of weeks, we're joined by Simon Cooper now to talk about Clivert's winner in the 95 Champions League final and the achievement of that Ajax team, Simon, in taking down the great Milan side of the 90s. Van Hal had taken over as coach, as, as head coach in 1991 after working as an assistant. Was there an inkling back then that the club was about to produce this iconic team? Um, not at all, no. I mean, Ajax was at a low. They'd recently been banned from European football after tuning uh, in through a metal bar as an Austrian goalkeeper. And Falcao was a young, um, un- relatively untried manager who, you know, as we know, is kind of personally very odd. So he uh, often makes a bad first impression. And he uh, talks about how he would, um, you know, build a team based on kind of emotion and togetherness. And it was very um, new-agey talk for the era. Uh, and so, yes, there was very little optimism or sense of um, greatness looming. I mean, you did have a generation of players already coming through in 91, the De Boer Twins and Bergkamp. And then um, later, you, you had Dan Fitzclair at Sadoff, and, and that turned out to be half the great thing. Were the notions of emotion and togetherness seen as new-agey in 91? Um yeah, I mean, it was it was a role more macho uh, football culture at the time, and also he was um, he, he was extraordinarily sort of closely involved in players' personal lives. He would do uh, kind of job interviews when he was thinking of recruiting a player. He'd, he'd interview the player, and he'd also uh, want to know about the player's family life and uh, uh, what was his wife like, and uh, how did he intend to decorate his kitchen, that kind of thing. So he took an extraordinarily close. Um, you know, almost obsessively paternal interest in players' lives, which was which was very odd um, at the time. And it also that meant that he was happiest working with young players, with players who would completely listen to him and accept everything that he said. The, by the time they get to the Champions League final in 95 against Milan, I mean, there's, it's incredible. Uh, Dimitri Albertini is the only player Milan have under 26 years of age. Ajax only have two players over 26 years of age, Frank Reichard and Danny Blind. And I've been reading back some quotes from Van Hal before the game. He's saying, you know, Milan's turnover is three times ours. Just like all of my players, I have this ambition inside to prove the impossible can be done in football. So he was very much talking about Ajax as the plucky young underdog there. But they'd already beat Milan twice that season. And I don't think they'd lost a game in the league or in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, at times they played um, football that he once described as close to perfect. So I think they went to Real Madrid that yeah, and they won two 0 in the Bernabeu, and they got a standing ovation with this kind of child's, you know, children's team. Um, so it was the time when the football he had always dreamed of worked best. And you know, as we see at Manchester United, and even when he came third with Holland at the World Cup, uh, he's never really been able to reproduce that kind of football with any of his teams. So uh, for him, that was the the ultimate. Yeah, it, it really worked, and money wasn't so important then because. Remember, the Bosman ruling was in late uh, 95 and came to force in 96. So this was the last Champions League with a team where you could really keep the players and stop them moving abroad and where there were limits on the amount of foreign players that teams in Italy or England could buy. So um, the Ajax of 95 was only possible in 95. It wouldn't have been possible after that. Patrick Cliver comes off the bench. He's 18 years of age. He scores the winning goal. How... 
emblematic was Clivert of what that team was about and the fact that Clivert, an 18-year-old off the bench, scores the winning goal? Um, yeah, I mean, for the fans, he was immediately emblematic. They had this song that, yeah, Clivert, Clivert, we're going to win the league, which was sung as a kind of, uh, like a children's song. And, um, yeah, he, he stood for everything that Ajax was because he was... Uh, young, he was cheery, he was homegrown, um, and he he was completely un uncowed by other people's reputations. So he went in as a 17, 18 year old. He thought it was completely normal that he was you know playing against Maldini and, and beating Maldini. So um, and he he also had the complete Ajax package because he was he was a large striker and when he was young he was very quick, but he was also um, he was extraordinarily skilled and he was the perfect Ajax centre forward in that he was a goal scorer and a playmaker in one, so he could play with his back to goal and with, and with his face to goal, which uh, for a centre-forward is, is extremely rare. Yeah, and I mean, obviously Van Hal gets loads of praise for throwing on an 18-year-old in a situation like that, but at the same time, when you're talking about a guy with the gifts that you've just described that Clivert has, maybe in ways it's the obvious thing to do as well. Yeah, I mean, all these players, they prove themselves pretty much immediately, and, and Hal was always keen on using youth and, and still is. But um, it makes it easier when you have players like that. And he always talks about how they could only thrive in the collective. And it was only at Ajax they could be great. But actually, almost all of them went on to have great careers elsewhere. Uh, for Clover, it ended pretty quickly because he got injuries and really he peaked by the age of 24, like many quick strikers. But he, um, he was a very successful centre forward at Barcelona for a time afterwards. Where do you where would you rank them, Simon? In the we're having this debate about the great Champions League teams. Uh, if we, if we start this debate around the the early nineties in the Champions League and its current format, how would you rank them uh, in, in ter- against those other great teams, Milan, the current Barcelona side? Um, I mean, I think the current Barcelona side is is extraordinary, and there was no Messi in that IFC more indeed, perhaps in any other team. Um, but in terms of playing attacking football and uh, doing it with homegrown players, they, they, they're right there at the top. I mean, they, they were really attacked. They were a fun team to watch. There was nothing cynical about them. So, um, they, you know, they played football the right way. Um, there was no arguments about who deserves to win the Champions League that year. I mean, as you say, they beat Milan three times that season. So, um, not quite Barcelona, but not far off. All right. Listen, Simon Cooper, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Okay. Yeah, Simon touches on a really interesting point there about that, those Ajax players, that the achievements, and maybe it's part of the legacy of this team, that they, they left this legacy in terms of how football was played. But in the more immediate sense, they also delivered all these great players mm. to other clubs around Europe. Clivert at Barcelona, David Seydorf, van der Sar. So many of them went on to, uh, the vast majority of them went on to great things, which isn't easy to do when you've achieved a lot at a young age with a bunch of players you've come up with. Yeah, and... You know, the the idea is that, well, I mean, I suppose in, in similar to what you say about Leicester, that they're exceeding the sum of their parts, that if if you have a team that come up together, you kind of would think that they would grow to depend on each other to an extent that would harm them when they when they move away from the club, that there would be some sort of uh, a re-education required for them to succeed elsewhere uh, under different managers or playing under different systems. But it none of those guys really made... A misstep at all, you know, like they they all just went on and and did such brilliant things. Like Seydorf won Champions League with two other clubs. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an extraordinary group of obviously individuals as well as a, a, an extraordinary team. And another exhibit, Murph, in the case for 
uh, another piece of evidence in the case for Ajax being the greatest Champions League team of all time. Ajax 95, we're talking about all this because the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast would exclusively interview Patrick Cliverd in just over two, just around two weeks' time. You can come and join us um, and an all-time footballing legend. We've room for only 20 of you guys. We've done the maths on this, so that's 10 people plus ones. So 10 of you guys and girls, plus one of your mates, or whoever you want to bring, will be there to meet Patrick Cliverd. It'd be mad to bring someone who wasn't your mate. That would be strange. <laughs> that, I don't know why you would do that, really. It's an awful time while uh, yeah. with your friend while being at this amazing event. Okay, sorry, I, I interrupt. So you can be there to meet Cliver and be part of the first ever live recording of the football podcast. As I said earlier, it's going to take place on the morning of the Champions League game between Arsenal and Barcelona. It's February 23rd in a secret location in Dublin City Centre. Add a little bit more intrigue. If you want to be there, just email Cliver at secondcaptains.com with your name, your mate's name. I know you're about to spell Clivert, Murph, for people. <laughs> K-L-U-I-V-E-R-T. So email Clivert at secondcaptains.com with your name, your plus one, that person's name as well, the question you'd like to pose to Patrick, and also let us know your own greatest Champions League team of all time and why do you agree with me? Do you, well, you actually haven't picked yours, Murph. You've just named all the teams that have won the Champions League in the last 20, 25 Messi years. Messi Suarez, Neymar. Okay, you're going for that, uh, that great Barcelona team. For more details, terms and conditions, go to secondcaptains.com. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that one. I'm also looking forward to putting out the second podcast of the day, which will feature Jerry Thornley and Shane Horgan on Ireland's draw against Wales. And Murph, I think myself and yourself will analyse in depth Martin O'Neill's star performance as guest analyst on BBC Super Bowl coverage. He was my MVP. <laughs> yes, it happened. And he was brilliant. Yeah, uh, uh, like great. Really... Let's not get into too much detail here. Yeah, okay, this, this, we've, we've been talking for a while here. We've got yeah. another podcast to record. So absolutely right. Save your bullets. All right, thanks very much for listening to this one. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Son. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home.